You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey. With Jason. And again, no Amanda. Sorry, guys, but she's out taking care of stuff today. So it is me and Lindsay today. How are you doing, Lindsay? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'm excited to talk to you today because you are one of those crazy people like me. And Amanda, you are a foster parent, right? Yes. All right. I have to ask because I know just how crazy we are. Um, I, I understand the craziness in my life. I don't always understand why everyone else is crazy the way that we are. So what, did, <laughs> what is it about the system that made you feel compelled to go towards it? You know, that's a that's a really good question. Um, there's um, there's 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 a few different things. Uh, so one of them is um, a young lady that uh, I met several years ago who um I, I was involved in her life in, in a few different ways. I've taught a Bible study she was in at church. And um, to make a long story short, she ended up in a situation where she was placed into foster care. Um, and in that, I, I got to meet her foster parents, um, spent a lot of a, a good bit of time with them and continued my relationship with her. Um, and at that time she was 14 or 15 years old. Um, she's now, I'm pretty sure she's close to graduating college. Um, and she, she's an incredible human being. Um, and she will tell you the impact that her, uh, foster now adoptive parents had, um, on her and the, the way that, um, while there were some really, really sad circumstances that led to that happening for her, it did give her opportunities that she wouldn't have had without them. Um, not that they, you know, saved her or anything like that, but just them, them playing a role in her story has, has really, um, had a great impact on her life. Um, so, I mean, that's, that truly is where I was ever like first introduced to, to foster care. Um, but I wouldn't say at that time I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be a foster parent. Like that sounds like something I want to do. <laughs> um, not at all. Uh, but I have always had a, a weird, I don't know, just a weird thing that I was like, somehow I'm going to end up with other people's kids in my house. I'm not really sure why. I don't know if it's, um, you know, like my parents, like our house was always the house where everybody's kids were, you know, my friends were here. My siblings, friends were here. Um, we had some of our friends who practically lived here. Um, and I, so I always had a, a feeling like there will be other people's children in and out of my house. Um, and then when I met my husband, when we were dating, we both kind of had that same 
inclination. Again, not that it would be foster parenting, but just that, um, you know, impacting the lives of, of kids and, and youth and all that really mattered to us. And I still really don't know how we ended up being foster parents. Like one day it just kind of, <laughs> these people showed up at our house, I guess. And we're like, Hey, we want to ask you some questions <laughs> about being foster parents. You want to try that? And that's really not what happened at all. We just, I don't know. We both kind of had the idea at the same time at some point or another. I think even before we got married, it was something that one of us mentioned it to the other. I don't even remember how it went down. And I, maybe I said it to him and he was like, I thought about that too. And it, it just kind of, I don't know. It just evolved into now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long have you been fostering? Um, so we were licensed um, officially. Oh God, COVID times. I don't even know what year it is right now. Um, we were licensed officially December of 2020. Yes. December of 2020 is when we were licensed. Um, and then we did respite off and on for a, a few months, not really by our choice that we only did respite. That's just the calls that we got. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did a few respite stays. Um, and then the, we've now been fostering the, the kids that are with us for, um, about eight months. So they're our first, um, like long-term, uh, placement, but we had some respite on and off before them. And they actually came to us for respite at one point before, um, coming to stay with us long-term too. Okay. So you had some experience with them beforehand because we've yeah. never done respite in our house. We just, it's not yeah. something that's come up. And quite frankly, we usually have a house full of kids already. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, now we definitely, would. <laughs> there's no way we could now. Um, but we did off and on a, a little bit. It was mostly just like weekend respites that we did. Um, we did a few with like younger kids um, and then some older ones as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we we had, a, I would say we had a little bit of experience, but all we really did on those weekends, like it was a like a big slumber party. Like everyone just had a, a big time and we did not enforce nearly enough rules and everything. They just, you know. They, all the kids that have come here for respite are like, I want to come back because <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a party. Um, but yeah, I mean, respite's really fun. I, I would highly encourage anyone that wants to at least try it to, to give it a shot. Cause we had a good time with it for sure. Well, yeah, because you get to be the fun parent at that point. It's exactly, uh, you're not the one exactly. asking questions about grades or chores or right. Like <laughs> right. We ask those questions a lot in my house and the answers are Same not. Here. Yeah, they're not always like like they don't like to answer those questions. So right, it exactly. Like you have a house full of kids. Do you do you have bio kids as well, or are you do you guys? Because I'm looking at no. you. And, okay, no no bio kids. I'm no. looking at you, and I'm making some assumptions because my mama <laughs> taught me to make assumptions and not ask lady her age because that's, sure. that's not a very kind thing. But y'all don't right. look like you're old enough to have like the the house full of kids that my wife and I already had when we started right. foster care. You know, so. right, right. Yeah, I'm only 27. Um, so yeah, no, not, not super old. I mean, I feel really old some days, but that might be the children. <laughs> I have bad news, um, bad news. Yeah. As you get older, it, it gets to feeling much, much older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm 27. So we, uh, we've taken a little bit of a non-traditional route to this thing for sure. Was that your plan uh, or 
is you know what, what, what why did you step into that before was bio kids like something you that you you were really interested in or just something that just yeah. happened um i mean i i you know people ask me that all the time and i'm like eh, i don't know we're just winging it <laughs> truthfully um but yeah i mean i i think that you know having our own kids at some point um is something that <clears throat> that we will probably do at some point in time um it's just not I don't know. It's not what we felt led to right now. Some somehow this is how we've started our parenting journey. Um, I yeah. I don't. I don't really have any. Again, not an exact answer. We kind of fly by the seat of our pants around here. Um, but I mean, at some point, I, I think that we want to have our own kids. We just you know haven't haven't um, haven't done that yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and. Uh... I'm just going to go ahead and say that I speak many, many languages. One of them is Christianese. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I know that language a little bit, feeling led to something <laughs> called, right? That's something right. that my, my wife and I talk a bit about, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, we come from different places in the world, right? My, my wife grew up in a very, like, very, um, what is it, a, um, Easter, Christmas, right? That that's that's when you go to church. Other than that, I mean, every year you go, whether you need it or not, but those are the two times you really go to church and, um, other than that, that you know, that's all the exposure she had to any sort of religious thing, um, right? And I went to church three times a week on Sunday and at least on Wednesday, and and I, we were in a very fundamentalist organization that that I don't I don't have any connection with any longer by my choice and by theirs. Um, so it's it's great for me to have stepped out of that and I've I've walked on that journey and 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 we have a really strange connection with spirituality, but I do know that this is something that. That as I look at the story of Christianity, as I look at the story of, of of what the Bible really shows, it's a whole lot of stuff in there that looks like a grand adoption story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also know that when I read that book, it says things about taking care of widows and orphans and mm -hmm. to, you know, what true religion is. True religion mm -hmm. is, is to visit the the orphans and the widows in their in right. their troubles, right? And that's some it's a place where I felt really called. My wife yeah. felt really called because she grew up in a horrible house. She should have been a foster child, but she was missed by the system. So it, does does that play? Do you guys have, have some sort of spiritual connection to the reason why you guys decided to join? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely, yes. So um, we we definitely feel that this is what um, what God has called us to. We are we're both believers. We're both Christians. Um, we both, um, while we definitely screw it up on a daily basis, serving Jesus first is our priority in, in all, any and all circumstances. Although again, we get it wrong a lot. Um, and we, we definitely feel that this is something that he called us to. Um, I, I sometimes hate saying, I feel like we were called to it because then uh, some people think that means, oh, well, I wasn't called, so I'm good. Like I'm, I, I don't, <laughs> that's you guys crazy problem, not mine. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality is, um, like you said, if we really dig into scripture and, and especially the teachings of Jesus, every single person that claims to be a follower of Jesus should be taking care of the widows and the orphans. It doesn't mean that means being a foster parent but nobody is excluded from that. Um, so 
yeah, but to answer your question, I'll go on a tangent real fast there. Um, but the, uh, to answer your question, yes, our, our faith definitely played a very strong role in that. Bef- I mean, even before we were foster parents, we were in youth ministry. Um, he served at a, a church before he was serving at a church. We were in youth ministry at a previous church before, you know, even during that we were in, um, uh, a couple of different ministries that serve youth specifically in our area because we believe that Jesus said to take care of the the vulnerable and the oppressed and and um yeah so it, it's definitely something that um we feel we were specifically called to now let me ask you this question because this is a, sec- a question that completely unrelated to that but I think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the question I'm wondering over here, because you know, I mentioned my wife's journey, right? I mentioned some yeah. of my own journey. And we came to this whole thing with our own buckets of trauma. Mm-hmm. And if you have more than zero foster kids in your house, you have some buckets of trauma laying around. Because yep. nobody comes into care without trauma because just the act of being put into foster care is going to cause some level of trauma for a kid. Right, so, right. You know, I, there, there's a, a couple memes I've seen floating around from time to time in certain circles that say, you know, an unregulated adult, an emotionally unregulated adult will never be able to regulate an unregulated child or dysregulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get all the mm-hmm. all the fancy words wrong, right? But, right. you know, your own background, you and your husband's background, do you guys have your own trauma story in your background? And if you do, have you worked through that? Yeah, yeah. So for one, I think... I think to varying degrees, every person alive has their own trauma, you know, everyone's, you know, carrying something because I haven't met a single person yet that's had a perfect life. Um, because that's just part of the human experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we both have, um, some of our, our own stuff. Um, you know, I, I try really, really hard if I'm sharing something that's within my own story to not share something that overlaps with someone else's because that's their story to share and not mine. Um, but I mean, I, I can say that within my own family, um, while I have amazing parents that I know love me and um, they, they definitely have always done the very best they could in every single situation. Um, they're, there is some history of different things there. Um, I mean, at one point, so my dad won't care if I share this part out. I mean, I would say I'll ask him later, but he'll be all right. <laughs> I'm his favorite kid. It's, it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, um, I mean, just one thing that in the moment, it didn't seem traumatic, but looking back on it, I'm like, huh, maybe that was a little bit of, of trauma and I didn't realize it. My sister and I actually lived separately from my parents for a little bit. <clears throat> with um one of our aunts and uncles when I was uh I was a freshman in high school um because my dad was having a, a kidney and pancreas transplant um and had to go to a different state to get that so we we lived separately from them for a little bit now as an adult I know that that's kind of traumatic even if I was old enough to understand what was going on it's still scary in the moment um and you know then beyond that um, there's some history of addiction and some mental health issues within our family as well, um, that have, that impacted the way that we were raised again, saying, um, 
my mom and dad love me. I never once in my life have questioned if my parents love me, but that doesn't mean they didn't struggle with stuff, you know? Um, and you know, then in addition to that, there's that I made really poor choices in men for a very, for a, a period of life. And that kind of stuff adds its own bucket of trauma. Hey there, foster care nation. We wanted to open up a dialogue and talk with some of the listeners a little bit and just see what you guys have to say. We have a voicemail line. It is at 413-FOSTER-3. That's 413-367-8373. Now, we would love to be able to share some of your stories. If you have a couple quick stories you want to put on the air, or if it's something you'd just like to talk to us a little bit and let us know what you're hearing and what you would like to hear, that would be awesome. We would love to have that from you guys. So if you would reach out and let us know. Also, I'm going to uh, just assume that you guys know that we are talking about putting some of these stories on the air. So if there's some privacy issues, feel free to change a name. Don't use a name. I don't care. Just take care of the privacy stuff. We don't want anybody getting in any trouble on anything like that. We're not trying to out anybody's story out here in the world. So just be mindful of privacy. Again, that is the phone number is 413-FOSTER-3. 413-367-8373. Thanks a lot. We hope to hear from you soon. Um, and you know, my, my husband is, um, his story, his family background is very different than mine, but again, every person breathing has something, um, difficult they've had to work through. Um, so I think the second part of your question was if we have worked through that stuff, um, the answer is yes. So. I, I personally, I think everyone needs therapy. I think if, if you're breathing, if you're breathing, you probably need a therapist. Um, I think especially anyone considering being a foster parent needs a therapist. Um, I think anyone who thinks they're going to be a foster parent that says, I don't need a therapist probably shouldn't be a foster parent. Truthfully. I mean, that's just Maybe that's a harsh take. I don't know. But I, I really do think that because I, I think um, for me, I can only speak for myself. If we had started fostering and I had not spent the years that I had in, in therapy before we started fostering, this thing would have gone left really fast <laughs> um, because, I mean no matter how great kids are and and the kids with us are amazing individuals they they truly are um they're still people they're they're humans with their own little brains and their own way of responding to stuff and if we as adults haven't worked through our stuff something a kid does that really has nothing to do with me is going to trigger me um and I mean, still to this day, there are things that a kid can do that will trigger me. We just have to try to catch that in the moment that it happens and not, you know, um, uh, flip our triggers onto the kid. <laughs> just, you know, that that child, regardless of what they've done, is not responsible for my reaction to it. The child is not responsible for how it makes me feel. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think... Um, like I said, I'll go on a tangent on you real fast, but I think, uh, I, I think that therapy is a very important thing. And I, I'm really, really thankful, um, 
for the things that were really hard um, because I think they led me to to seeking therapy as a as a young adult. Um, and if I hadn't done that and done that work prior to being a foster parent, I would not be as effective as a foster parent for sure. Okay, number one, I just want to know: are, are do all kids actually have brains? <laughs> you know, I think that's a great question because there are some things that these people around here do that I'm like, oh, did you think at all before <laughs> you did that? Like, uh, but yeah. <laughs> some of the things you see from kids just the other day, I love this line. I mean, it almost it almost broke me. It was so hard not to laugh really hard and encourage a behavior. But my two younger boys are six and eight. They're they're in the living room, and I don't know Cobra Kai something. I, they've decided that they want to they want to have all these big um, big karate fights, and it's it's kind of humorous to to watch them sometimes. You just gotta you know put guardrails up, right? And at one point, my eight year old turns around and he's holding his hand. And he goes, "Wow, Dad, Frankie's face really hurts my hand." <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "Gosh!" And this is what you call fun. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder about them having brains. I, I really do. <laughs> but on a little bit more serious note, I I love the line you just gave that um that that they're not responsible for your reaction. Right. Right. Because ah, man, that that one's a convicting moment to to look back across some pieces of history for me. Mhm. Oh, me too. Me too. And I even went into this knowing like very trauma informed and everything. And I still have had moments where I've yelled at a kid and I'm like, that wasn't right. I need to go fix that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one who has, has stupid moments like that. <laughs> You're not <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's so very important, you know, to to realize that and understand our own trauma. And I agree with you that that if you're going to get into foster care, you need to have some level of experience with um with uh some some therapies just to, to dive through some of the old stuff in your life. That I mean, if you would have asked me 15 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah, I would have told you I had the idyllic childhood. And it's not until I had the the distance to be able to understand how some of those things really truly affected me in a negative way. And right. not so much like, you know, my mommy and daddy were bad and they, they were so horrible to me. But, you know, my dad, we we got along great after I got out of the house. We got along decent when I lived in the house. But my dad grew up in a house with a single mom. He had several men come through. His dad died when he was very young. And mm. some of the men who came through his life were not very healthy humans um, to the point of he told a story about having a fork stuck in the side of his head once, right? Yeah, not not always great guys. And so here's the dad I got. He had a good dad until he was about six or seven years old. And then a series of not so great male role models living in his house. And I realized that, oh yeah, like I can't imagine who I'd be if I hadn't had that through my through my whole childhood. He was doing the best he could with what he had. You know, mm -hmm. I learned some of my mom's trauma story growing up, and parts of that was really difficult for her. And again, she was doing the best she had with the broken pieces that she brought to the table because we all bring some broken pieces to the table. Yeah. And so working yeah, absolutely. through that is really important, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, um, like I said, I, I know for a fact I would not be as, and again, sometimes I'm not very effective as a foster parent. Like sometimes I'm just keeping everybody alive and hoping for the best. Um, 
But had I not done some of that work, this thing could have gotten really screwy really fast. Because <laughs> um, I mean, like I can give you an example. Like for me, I know for a fact, someone lying to me, that triggers me. Like that will trip a trigger in me so fast <laughs> that you won't even know what hit you. And um, I've had to be really, really careful um, because kids lie, you know, some, whether it's about something serious or not, it's going to happen at some point. Some kids struggle with that more than others. Some kids with trauma history struggle with that more than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I had not had the awareness already that this is going to cause like a visceral reaction in me (laughs) if someone lies to me. Um, I, and you know, like I have already said, I've lost my cool with, with kids, um, not in like really like horrendous ways, but in ways that I wish I had handled better, but definitely could have taken some situations a lot more personally. Um, if I hadn't kind of figured that out already about myself, you know, um, I, I think it's really important that we we do that work to know our ourselves, um, whether you're going to be a foster parent or not, like <laughs> stop carrying around all this crap that you don't have to. Um, cause it, it affects our relationships with other people too, regardless if you're a foster parent or not. Amen to that. Yeah. Therapy has been really useful for Amanda and I, and we did not step into it early on. And, you know, we yeah. had to learn the hard way cause we're smart like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So- yeah, I, I I think that that's a huge part of it. You mentioned your husband was in youth ministry. And mm-hmm. so my first thought goes to, he probably wasn't like in the nursery taking care of babies. He's probably dealing with a little bit older kids. And mm-hmm. with us talking earlier, you, you mentioned that, that the kids that, that you guys tend to tend to take care of have a, are, tend to be a little bit older, teens, twins, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And right. I'm just going to say, number one, I'm going to go ahead and just bow down and say, God loves you. Because <laughs> That's the hardest time in life, in my opinion. And, and, you know, kids who are going through that hard point, who have more trauma, who are being, you know, placed into foster care, who probably come from some hard places, that's some difficult stuff to deal with with kids, for sure, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I can make make a four-year-old happy with an ice cream sandwich. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, there's trauma that won't be solved by ice cream, for sure, but but I can I can find a I can find my way into a calmer place much easier with a four year old than I can with a fourteen year old. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about that a little bit. You know, you guys you guys are taking care of some older kids in in your mm-hmm. time as foster parents. What is that like, and what led you towards older kids? Hey there, foster care nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash foster care nation. Now back to the show. So once again, my answer is going to be a little um, uncertain because honestly, sometimes I'm still not sure (laughs) why. I definitely have moments where I'm like, why did I? What? (laughs) Whose idea was this? (laughs) Um, But 
Um, so part of it is that, like I said, my husband, um, I never know if I should say is a youth pastor, was a youth pastor. He likes to make a joke that he resigned in disgrace, which is not at all true. He just thinks it's really funny to tell people um, that he didn't qualify to work in a church anymore. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's that kind of person. But um, so we, uh, and like I mentioned before, we actually met serving in youth ministry. Um, that That's where we met each other to begin with. So in doing that, we were both serving in like the middle and high school age ranges. Um, so that's an age group we, we're already comfortable with and have spent a lot of time around. Um, and our, our license is actually technically like for newborns to um, teens. But we went into it even telling our licensing worker, we really feel more led towards older kids and teenagers. Um, and, but truth be told, we both love younger kids too. Um, we have a couple of nephews that like prior to our, um, current kids coming, our whole world kind of revolved around those two little dudes. Um, and, and younger kids are awesome too. Um, but we, we did just feel some type of, of leading that this is, um, where, where we feel most equipped and, um, and just called to be, um, is, is with those older age ranges. And I think part of that, um, goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, that, that Jesus made it really, really clear that the outcasts of society are very much the ones that the followers of Jesus actually should be going towards instead of away from. Um, and a lot of people are really terrified of older kids and teenagers in general, <laughs> like forget the foster <laughs> care part, they're just scared of them in general, but especially you start talking about a teenager that's in foster care and my God, like people think they're convicts already. And, um, that's just simply not true. Um, so I, I think that's part of what led us to, to older kids as well. Um, when we were going through licensing, there was, you know, how they do those little talks about, uh, the age ranges of kids that are in care and, and which kids are harder to place and all those kind of things. And it was just something that I remember we came away from one of the classes, like, I, I think, we're probably gonna go more towards the the older kids that and this is a, a more selfish reason I like my sleep and <laughs> <laughs> and um you know there's something glorious about the fact that while all my friends who have these little babies that are horrified that I have teenagers fostered teenagers in you know if nothing else and on Saturday mornings <laughs> those people are awake at six o'clock with their, their little human that like needs all the things. And mm -hmm. I, if I so choose can like kind of be by myself for a little bit because teenagers are nocturnal <laughs> and, <laughs> and they'll, uh, they'll leave me alone for a little bit, you know? So truly though, that was part of it. I was like, I don't know that I can do that whole waking up with babies thing. Like that's, I, I can't, I, 
I need the older ones that while they might have their issues with sleep occasionally, they, uh, for the most part, they do pretty well <laughs> with that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the bigger reasoning behind it was just that, um, there's such a misconception of, of older kids and teens, um, in, in foster care and in society as a whole, any kid that's an older kid with a trauma background, people tend to look, kind of look at them with a side eye. And, um, I just think the ones that the world is side eyeing, like those are the ones that Jesus said, no, that's the ones you're supposed to be going towards. Um, so again, long answer, my apologies, but, uh, that, that's, that's kind of <laughs> what led us to that. Yeah. Hey, Hey, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm just going to say, um, we, we have uh, a little one with us right now. If anybody's been listening to the last few episodes, she has been in the background making baby noises um, because, you know, that's that's what we tend to go after is, is those younger kids. And even the workers around here know, like, if you have an addicted newborn, call me. You know, I'm here my wife. That's that's we're, we're we're your first call because that's where we are where our skill set is really the strongest. I would say that mm-hmm. that's that's. I mean, I can do an, an addicted newborn super easy, and teenagers are, are just not our skill set. So knowing right. what your skill set is is really powerful. Also, yeah. if you tell uh, your your children's division workers that you're interested in taking teens, you will never, <laughs> you're not going to see a lot of babies because they have a hard time with right. them. Sure. Right. Because right. Yes. Everybody's yes. afraid of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I know that in some of like the local foster parent support groups that we're in, there's always people that are saying like that the local agencies won't even license people anymore that won't take kids over the age of like, whatever it is, eight or something like that. I, I forget what the number is, but licensing agencies are like turning people away because they're like, we've kind of not that fostering younger children and babies is still 100% as valuable and valid and all those things. Um, but there is a, a really great need for people that, that aren't terrified of, of the older ones too. Yeah, we we have a, a a couple in our area, Kathy and Greg, and Kathy and Greg are, are the same way. They they're all about the teens. Um, for a while, I don't know what they're still doing. I haven't talked to them in a while, but they were doing like a transitional housing program where they were helping them get out on their own and, and get on their feet and learn how to pay bills. And learn. it was a whole thing, it, you know, taking them through that those teen years and then transitioning into adulthood. And that's mm-hmm. it, she blew my mind one day when I happened to be talking to Kathy, and she's like. Oh, thank God! There are people like you who who will take. The- I couldn't do it. I'm like Kathy, you're nuts. That's me. That is so me. Yeah, me and Kathy would get along. Yeah, y'all, y'all are nuts because I'm gonna tell you. Well, and full disclosure, I do have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, my wife has true mother's ears, and so if I'm sitting out here in my desk early in the morning, because I get up before everybody else, I go to work at ridiculous hours in the morning. If I'm sitting out here in my morning time. And the baby makes a noise. Before I hear it, stand up, walk through that door right there to the baby. When I open the door, Amanda's already standing over the bas- over the baby with a passy or a bottle. Like she hears it and she is up on her feet. And I'm like, how? 
I can't get that right. here this fast woman. And I was already awake. How did you get here that fast? But she does. That's just, yes. she is wired to hear that. And I'm certain, I'm certain baby girl appreciates that. <laughs> <laughs> it takes me a minute yes. longer. So thank yeah. God that there are people like you guys who, who are wired for that. Because the truth yeah. is we're all wired for something. And, you know, yeah. I mentioned that. Like, I don't think every, just because somebody's listening to this doesn't mean I want you to be a foster parent. Right. Because there's a good chance that some of you are not wired to do that. Right. You know, and I feel like we all have a calling placed on our lives. We are fortunate enough to have found our calling and to have chased that for the last 13 years and, and tried to do our best through that through that whole process and screwed up and, and had success. And it's been a great experience for us. But, you know, that's because that's what we are called to do. I believe mm -hmm. that God puts you on this earth right here, right now, today, in the place you're at for a reason. You know, mm -hmm. you know what the reason is yet. If not, you should probably start looking. And yeah. it may yeah. have nothing to do with, with foster kids. It right. may have nothing to do with, with adoption. And like you mentioned, we all have some sort of, of responsibility, if you're a, mm -hmm. a card-carrying Christian, to be looking out for this. And that may mm -hmm. look something totally different than than what we do. But but that's part of the whole game, right? So Right, right. Now, I will say, though, that as much as we put into this process— Amanda and I have, have put a lot of energy and, and time into this, but I also know that we have gained more out of this process than we will ever be able to put into it. And I can mm -hmm. tell you some of the wisdom I have learned from toddlers because, man, sometimes those little guys will just be so stinking honest and say something like, oh, what did you just say? Why are mm -hmm. you telling me truth that I don't want to hear? Like it's, it just hits you and yeah. you're like, wow, that, that came out of that little mouth there. I'm yeah. curious, what are some of the, the most impactful lessons that the teenagers have taught you? Um, wow. So there are a ton um, because there are a, a couple of, of our kids specifically all of them definitely have their their own unique um giftings and abilities and talents and just things that make them the people that they are um but they all have have taught me a lot of things um and the they they have this insight and grasp on life that i think a lot of of grown people could stand to listen to um so one thing I wanted to add really, really quick, um, just in terms of the whole people being terrified of the older children and, and teens in foster care is this, um, because this is kind of one of the things that I've learned from having our kids, because I've heard people say some really stupid stuff. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and one of them is, is there's a few ways that people will say it. One of them is when they heard we were going to be accepting this um, placement of some older kids, they're like, well, you need to make sure that you set really firm boundaries in place as soon as they walk in the door. And I'm like, you do know they're not coming to prison, right? Like they're not here because they did something wrong. Are boundaries important? Absolutely. Do you know what else is important? This child knowing I love them and then feeling safe here that's, you know, both things are important. So please stop telling me I should treat them like convicts. <laughs> and then <laughs> the kind of one of the other things that I've, I hear people say a lot is, um, well, what, what if, you know, they're, they're teenagers. What if they do drugs? What if they have sex? What if they 
run away? What if they do all of, you know, X, Y, and Z, A through Z, actually, what if they do all, all this um, kind of stuff? And my response has started making people mad and I'm kind of okay with it. Um, but I'm, I'm like, what, what would you do if your biological children did those things? Because if you have them and they're teenagers, they could also do some of those things. It is not just teenagers in foster care that are taking part in risky behaviors. That's a teenage thing. That's a part of the developing teenage brain is that they take stupid risks. Like, let's not put that label on the ones that are in foster care. <laughs> well, Lindsay, I can um, say that um, in, in my house, we've dealt with probably all three of those this week with a, a kid who came from foster care who we have adopted. Yeah. And in the yeah. past, I've dealt with that from biological kids that, that we right. have. And yeah, you're 100% right. Right now, the uh, the ratio is two bios to to one to one kid who's you know non bio who who have had those issues. So right, right. Don't think that that you're wrong in that in that idea. That, right, that's right. a real struggle for everyone. Right, and then in addition to that, is even if they do, you know, some really stupid things. Um. Let's say even if a kid steals from us, even if they, even if all kinds of things, does that ultimately make that child any less worthy of knowing they are loved? Does that mean that that child does not deserve um, a sense of safety and security and knowing there are people that are committed to them? I, I personally, I, I don't, I don't think that, that, that that argument really is is fair um because i mean i won't even go into the whole trauma piece of it maybe i will a little bit um <laughs> it is you know we know that in foster care um and i i know from listening to other episodes that you're kind of a trauma brain junkie kind of person too a little bit um <laughs> we know that a lot of that stuff starts coming out when a child feels safe um because they're trying to, to test how, um, how far your commitment to them really goes. Um, and also it's not even just that they're trying to test it. Sometimes it's just that that's how the trauma brain comes out. They start feeling safe and things start happening. Um, so I just, I, I, I lost my train of thought a little bit, but my whole, my whole point in saying all of that is I just think that's a really, really invalid, um, thing for people to say that that a child is less I mean ultimately that's what you're saying if you're saying that people shouldn't be fostering older children and teens because they might do stupid stuff and they might you know do some things that really piss you off you're saying they're less deserving of having a family than than another kid and I I mean people might not think that's what they're saying but ultimately even if it's ignorantly, that's what you're saying. Um, People say a lot of things ignorantly that they don't know. Yeah. My, my yeah. favorite question of all is, well, I, I could never do that. I could never let them go. Yeah. And oh, my sweet God. Right? <laughs> the subtext says, apparently there's something wrong with me that I can let them go. Right. 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 
That means yeah, I'm I, a horrible person. I can do that. And and you're a good person and you can't. And I get it. And so I'm yeah. a horrible person over here who's doing Yeah. That. Yeah. It's, it's oh my a text that people don't understand that it's in there a lot of times, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I kind of derailed from your question. I apologize. Um, so my my answer to what what the kids have taught me. Um they for one have taught me a lot about myself. Um, cause like I said, there are things that I didn't even know were issues within me that they helped me to recognize. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they have taught me about, they've taught me more about grace than I ever have learned in a church pew. Um, not, and I, I think that's going to come out a lot differently than what, uh, people are expecting because it is not about me extending grace towards them. That's really not it at all. Um, the level of grace that they show to the world and other people, knowing some of the things they have experienced and the way that they continue showing up every single day, trying to figure out how to do life the very best way they can and trying to continue to have relationships with people when, um, it's got to be really freaking hard to do that is, is pretty incredible. Um, and then I think the, the greatest, I don't know if it's what they've, yeah, the kind of the, the greatest thing that they've, they've taught me, um, is the importance of acknowledging that every single person alive is fighting a battle that we don't know about. And that sounds extremely cliche, but um, I, I think we've been in some situations where people might be looking at a kid and thinking this child looks very neurotypical. This kid should know how to behave better than what they are right now. Um, this kid needs a spanking, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> And in the moment of those things, usually it, first my mama bear comes out and that's not always great. But the second part is that in, in reflecting on that kind of stuff, I'm like, man, how many times have I judged someone based on the way they were acting? Um, when really I had no idea what they were dealing with, you know, like, um, just in, in all walks of life, whether it's the, the person checking you out at the grocery store or, you know, a family member or anything in between, you know, strangers to your closest friends. Um, I think they, these kids have made me a wholly better person and a completely better person because they have taught me the importance of extending grace, even when you don't really know why you're doing it. Um, and, and giving people for lack of a better word, the benefit of the doubt, um, and assuming that there's a, uh, a Brene Brown quote from one of her books that I've read, I'm going to butcher it. So maybe I shouldn't have even said her name in it, but, um, this concept of assuming everyone you meet is doing the best they can. And, um, sometimes I don't want to do that. I want to assume that someone sucks just because they suck, but, <laughs> but that's very rarely the case. 
Because I mean, how many people are going into every day thinking like, you know what, I really want to screw this up today. I want to just make sure that I mess everything up and do everything wrong and treat people badly. When the reality is pretty much everyone is doing the best they can. And I, I think that that is something that my kids have taught me um, that I, I definitely was missing before them um, because I, you know, I've had those moments where I'm like, you know what, if you knew what led this child to this place, you'd shut up and turn around and go somewhere else in the grocery store <laughs> and not have such a strong <laughs> opinion because it's really, for one, not your business, move along. But also you don't know what led this child here. Um, and I, I just think that I've, I've taken that into other areas of life. Um, and that that's probably one of the greatest lessons that they've taught me. Well, I wish I could say that I've always known that, but, um, I learned that <laughs> lesson the hard way. I have been yeah. that, that guy who was just a, a genuine a-hole at the grocery store when I see something and to, to say something because I, and now I get to pay for that a little bit, I think from time to time, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I deserve it because I've been that guy and yeah, everybody's doing the best they have with what they have. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do at the end of the day. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to realize that sometimes when you see behavior that looks like, um, well, a ton of insanity, you know, there's, all, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, there's, let's just be honest right now. I have, I have several, um, what we would call disorders, things you'll find in DSM five that live in my right. house. Right. Right. Not several right. Of that. Um, I've got a little guy. I mean, if you look up ADHD in, in the DSM, uh, it's, it says, whoa, whoa, hang on. We haven't written the description of that boy yet. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I love this kid to death, but he's going to have some struggles that we get to deal with. You know, that's just part of the part of the game. And and realizing that that it's not his fault. You know, yeah. in all honesty, I I've got my own neurology degree that I'm working on. You know, it's 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 an experiential degree. There's no there's no professors involved. The professor right. is six years old. But uh yeah. you know, he's taught me so much about Maybe where some of the stuff came from and why he struggles so hard in places that a neurotypical kid does not. Mm-hmm. But it's my job as, as a parent to understand that, to see it, to understand it, and to bring grace to that and try and help him see that. Because at the end of the day, the best thing I can do is not to correct him all the time and say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, because that's, that's terribly invalidating and, and unhelpful. But what right. I can do is I, I can I can – help understand his struggles and maybe how we can turn that to strengths and mm-hmm. try to build that dynamic for him to live inside of. And that's not yeah. easy to do. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. And I think another piece to that, um, that they have, have taught me in, in kind of that same breath is having grace for myself. Right. Like I, I think, um, because I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist in a lot of ways. And, um, I, I think that's, especially those of us who care enough to want to, to, to foster for the right reasons, like not the ones that do it for horrible reasons, but the ones that, that want to do it for the the right reasons. We want to do this well. And, um, I know that, for me, there are a lot of times at the end of the day where I'm like, I have totally screwed this up today. I don't think I did anything right other than make sure they had food and a bed to sleep in. Um, 
But if I'm really going to fully embrace that idea of assuming everyone is doing the best they can, I've got to include myself in that too. Because there hasn't been a single day that I've woken up and been like, I want to yell at every kid here today and not really accomplish any of the stuff that's on my list that I set out to do. I want to not actually do anything right. Um, so I, I, I think the, the other piece of that too, that they've taught me, cause I try to teach them that for themselves. Cause I've got one in particular who can be very, very hard on herself. And she has taught me the, the, the power of, of having grace for yourself too. Um, cause none of us are going to get it right all the time. That is 100% for certain. I don't know many things for certain, but I do know that we all are going to screw things up <laughs> on occasion. You know, at some point in my life, I may have argued with you on that point, but I'm just going to say that uh, today, today I, I've proven myself wrong a number of times. <laughs> I have to live with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, they they teach me things every every single day. They they really do, and it sounds super cliche. I know that, um, but they they truly are. They're incredible, and they they teach me something every day about life and relationships and people and my spirituality and, and all kinds of things. They teach me something every day. Well, let me ask you this question. Have, <clears throat> I, I know you and your husband have been, you know, obviously had conversations because you're in the middle of, of being foster parents. You guys have talked about that. How about adoption? Is that something that's maybe on your radar somewhere or have you not gotten to that point yet of talking about that? So our goal going into fostering um, was 100% fostering to reunify with the goal being um, that we will provide what these kids need um, and, you know, be a, a safe place and somewhere with safe connections for them um, while their family is working through whatever they need to work through for them to return there. So our, our goal going into it certainly is what was not adoption. Um, that being said, we did kind of agree too, that if there were kids in our home that we were fostering and a situation arose where adoption was necessary or was the, the next step that we wanted to do everything that we can, um, to be that adoptive home, um, and, and try to, uh, prevent a kid, you know, being settled with us. And then, you know, if the goal were to move to adoption that they, you know, then it's like, Oh, well, sorry, you got to go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, um, not that I know there are foster parents that, that foster only to foster. And if the goal moves to adoption, they move the child to an adoptive home. Um, and there, there's certainly a place for those people too. There I'm, I'm not, um, degrading that at all, but, um, yeah, our goal going into it certainly was not, um, to adopt. Um, and with our, our current situation, we still really have no idea what's going to happen here. It's very, um, I, I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, but our goal is 100% to support the family in whatever ways that we can to, um, to have the children returned, um, to their biological family. Yeah. You know, we've had some of those kids who came and stayed with us for a little while and ended up going to an adoptive home somewhere else, a, a placement that just we weren't the right answer. Mm -hmm. And we, we've had several kids come through that way at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there, there definitely is value in that. Absolutely. Because I mean, it, I think it's really important to recognize like, Hey, we were the right place for this kid right now. 
but in terms of the long term, someone else can fit their needs better. You know, I, I think that there's there's tremendous value in that. Yeah, I have a teenage daughter who who has never done well with young girls. Like and if we're gonna dive off deep into her psychology, which trust me, I'm not gonna dive too deep into the psychology of a teenage girl, or I will be lost. But you right, know, right. Th- there's a piece there that for whatever reason that's difficult for her. And we haven't mm-hmm. had a whole lot of young girls, and that that's been a part of it. Um, right now we have a you know, our little baby girl staying with us. And now her, she has meshed really well. Um, she'll be home here in about an hour from school. And if I'm sitting here holding the the my our our, our little girl staying with us right now, um, she will walk over and take her from me. <laughs> I didn't yeah. think she would ask. I said she'll walk over and take her. And, and like that, so like this is a young girl who would fit into our home. We don't really mm-hmm. know her story. Her story has not been yet written. You know, but but we've had to really kind of kind of manage that. Now there are, you know, we do have four kids in our home who were foster placements who have been adopted and they were they were fits. And so we that's the road we chose we chose to to walk. But it's it's I think a lot about understanding what that is. You know, mm-hmm. if that fits right because we, we had a couple kids, a couple little boys, and the one was never diagnosed. I'm going to tell you with, 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 you know, my, my made up PhD that's, um, that's not very, um, official that I, I'm pretty certain he had oppositional defiance disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. just, and that's, this was early on in our journey. And I had no idea how to handle that. I was like, I was at a loss. I grew up in a house where dad was like the iron fist. You say you do, you know, dad says, if you don't, you know, look here, boy, I brought mm-hmm. you to the world. I can take you out and make another one looks just like you and no one knows right. the difference, right? That's <laughs> yeah. what I grew up in. So dealing with something like oppositional defiance wasn't even really on my radar yet. And mm-hmm. like our home was not the best place for those kids because I wasn't ready for that for sure. And, mm-hmm. um, that was a hard thing when they when they were going to when they needed a, they left our home and went to a potential adoptive placement and then they came back into care something fell through and they called us again I'm like ooh I, I don't know and I talked with with Amanda and she says you know there's another there's another foster family who's who's really interested in finding a couple little boys they had they had some bio children of their own they had daughters and they really wanted two little boys in their family and these kids they're they're already legally available for adoption. And I went, yeah, you're right. And and today, from what I can tell, from what I've seen through the Facebook, you know, their Facebook posts, that sort of thing, they look like they're doing great there. They got mm-hmm. placed in the place where they were supposed to be all along. And yeah. my house was not the right place for that. So understanding that is, is a big part, I think, for, for foster parents and, you know, adoptive, potential adoptive parents is understanding that sometimes you just go, nope, this is not right. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that at all. And yeah. sometimes... Yeah. The kid, the kid in your house is the perfect fit, and mm-hmm. you just, you know, you just have to, you have to understand that that's that's a conversation that has to be had between you and your spouse for sure every time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that that's um, that's a tough part of this because sometimes you feel horrible saying no, this is not the right place. Right. But at the end of the day, it's all about finding the right place. And you mentioned reunification, and I totally mm-hmm. understand. Reunification is the primary goal of foster care, and most people don't like mm-hmm. to hear that because this kid came out of a hard place. And right. you're talking about sending them back? What's wrong with <laughs> you, right? <laughs> and and yeah. I understand that to some level, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk a little bit about about reunification. Have you guys seen any cases that that went back to reunification that really worked well, or or have you not seen that yet? So we haven't seen that yet. Um, 
so to speak to that a little bit, I think, um, so for one thing, I, I, I think one of the problems with the foster care system, because we know there are plenty of issues with the foster care system, um, it is screwed up beyond all reasonable belief. Um, I think one of the biggest issues with it is that more resources need to go towards families being able to support their children than to foster parents um, or, or to, you know, them constantly trying to recruit foster parents, you know, like what if we used a little bit of common sense, back this thing up down the pipeline a little bit and find where the source of the problem is. If it's poverty, I mean, you're going to be giving a stipend to a foster parent to take care of this child. So the money's there, (laughs) you know, um, sorry, pet peeve of mine, but anyway, um, if, you know, the issue is addiction or mental health, you know, let's maybe have better resources for people to access. Um, because I mean, I, I know where we are, um, the resources for accessing mental health care are not good. Um, and we've, we've learned that, um, uh, a lot <laughs> in, in some recent weeks that it's, it's horrific. Like it, it's just stupid how people can't access what they need if they have a, a mental health issue. Um, so, you know, knowing that poverty and, and mental health or, or addiction issues are a lot of the reasons that kids come into care. Why don't we maybe try to help some of those issues? Um, because, you know, it, again, it kind of goes back to that. Assuming people are doing the best they can with what they have to work with. Why don't we maybe try to allocate some resources and support towards the parents or extended families or whoever of these children where children can be with their families. Because at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, if they had the choice, they would prefer their family being healthy and them being with their family over being in foster care. Um, regardless of, you know, regardless of how much the kid might love their foster family, they still would nine times out of 10, they're going to choose their family. Um, and, you know, there's, there's all this, research and and now I I feel like we're in a space where adult adoptees and adult survivors of foster care are speaking out about that more and more strongly that um, just because maybe foster families had better resources you know more money nicer houses uh, whatever else um, that did not mean that's where that that child should have been it and it, it's not always the best alternative. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm uh, uh, articulating that quite the way I want to, but I, I think the, the point I'm trying to make is, number one, I think with some additional support, a lot more reunification would happen because it should. Children should be with their families if it is at all possible and safe for that to happen. Um, and I, I think, you know, again, this is that perspective for me was actually a a shift because when we first came into not when we first came into being licensed but when we were first talking about foster care and things like that um 
and I was listening to, you know, podcasts like yours, um, with, you know, uh, former foster youth, adult adoptees, birth parents, all those kind of things. Um, I really had to kind of shift my perspective from that almost savior mentality that sometimes happens in the foster care and adoption world where we think, well, if I just get this kid into, you know, my environment that obviously is superior, which isn't true, but we think that sometimes, (laughs) um, then, then, I mean, that's obviously the best thing for this child. And so, you know, in hearing, especially the, the stories of, like I said, kids that have lived through it, that are now grown people, um, or, you know, biological parents or whoever, I kind of had to shift that mentality, um, to recognize the, the reality is even as wonderful as my family is. And I have a wonderful family. Every family really is only a couple of wrong turns away from, you know, your kid could end up in foster care. I don't mean you, but I mean like people in general, every, every family is not that far from it. They think they are, but the vast majority of of people that are um, having their kids taken into um, foster care, they're really not terrible people. They just have some stuff they need help with. And I think um, foster parents need to be really, really careful about, having the mentality that we're better or that we are the best solution for that child. Um, when really our, our role needs to be supporting the child and their families towards reunification, because ultimately if done like safely and with the adequate supports and stuff, that is going to be what's best for that kid in, in every situation. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Again, one of my tangents, but I, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I see, unfortunately a lot sometimes that there, there is kind of this savior complex that, um, is prevalent in the foster care community that people are like, well, but I can give, I can take this kid to dance lessons. You know, I, mm-hmm. they can do all the, they can have private coaching for sports. They can do all these things that, you know, their, their, their mom or their whoever, could never do for them. And I bet you, if they, you asked that kid, they would give all of that up <laughs> Yeah, if it meant that they could be with their family, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I think it so, was uh, yeah. Primera Sip. We interviewed a while back who did have her children taken away. And uh, because, and, and one of the things that I believe she mentioned in, in that conversation was that, you know, poverty is not a crime. And mm-hmm. she was a, a, a single mother. She was working at an, as a nurse as we all know, especially over the last couple of years, like nurse hours are, are through the, the hours are through the roof. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you have to put in a lot of time to, to do that job. And it's, it was so hard for her because she's trying to raise her family and she's trying to take care of kids and childcare was outside of her reach. And, and it was, and the whole thing really came down to if, if she could have reached out to the system and said, Hey, I need some help with childcare for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that probably could have solved a lot of her issues as opposed to her going through the, her children being pulled from her home, being put into the system. Right. You know, I, if I remember right, her kids end up back in her home with her, but there was a huge disruption in their life, a mm-hmm. lot of trauma, and it would have been much cheaper and easier 
if she would have just had some of that assistance. And it's mm-hmm. not easy to convince politicians that that's where they should be putting their money. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't dive off into politics too much because I don't think right or left is is correct in, in the pol- political arena around this kind of stuff. Right. I think oftentimes yeah. it's just people aren't looking at it from that perspective and realizing that some of these kids, really the, the parents, the biggest crime they have is is poverty. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's not a crime. It's hard. Yeah. You know, let's just let's just be real for a minute because um, I I don't know exactly where you went to school, but I'm going to guess your schooling was more recent than mine. When I was <laughs> in school, let me tell you, we did not have a great lesson on personal finance and and financial accountability and teaching you how to mm-hmm. have money and create budgets and all the things that you need to be when you get to be a grown up. And mm-hmm. people struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right there is just a, fir- a really easy first step. You know, the thing, the, the story, the stories we have seen in, come to our own home, a lot of times have been based around drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And what can we do around that? Because if we can get some of these parents clean, they'd love to take care of their kids. Mm-hmm. But they got to yeah. get clean first. Because I'm going to tell you, I have seen it firsthand a number of times. You don't get that many opportunities to say no to heroin. The first time yeah. somebody offers it to you, you do. Then after that, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced you always have an opportunity to say no after that. And that's, yeah. that's a huge part of the, the, the children's uh, child welfare struggle in our area. It's so mm-hmm. many kids get pulled from homes because they're in a dangerous spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a little guy who, who at one year old, like the list of drugs who, that he was exposed to was frightening. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm talking things like heroin and meth at one mm-hmm. in the system. Mm-hmm. You know, this kid has been through some stuff. His mom has been through some stuff. We know the family personally. Um, I've known her for a lot of years, actually. And I know where she came from. I know her parents. And they struggle with with drug addiction. And so you look at this. This is a generational problem that has come come to fruition to this point where now she has none of her children living with her because she's struggling through a drug addiction that nobody found the way to, to help thwart that before it became this huge issue in their life. And I, I would love, I would love to have the answer to that. How do we fix that? Right. We just make it <laughs> illegal. That'll solve all the yeah. problems. Yeah. I haven't figured that one out yet. I, I wish, um, but I've not figured it out. Yeah. So like I said, for the most part, most of the kids we've had have been, you know, their stories involved, um, parents who have addiction struggles and it's mm-hmm. so sad to see because, you know, the kids see it. Mm-hmm. And they know that, you know, well, they see that drugs are more important than them. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the kid's view. And a lot of times that's, that's, that is the view of most people in society. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that grace thing earlier and mm-hmm. finding the ability to, to have some of that grace. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be real honest. At some point you have to, you have to draw lines and boundaries that keep safety intact, right? You know, you can't mm-hmm. let a kid go stay with, with bio mom for the weekend when you know bio mom has has a tendency to be not on this plane of existence all weekend long it's just not a safe thing you know you you send an, a one-year-old with bio mom who's who's in active addiction eh, some bad things yeah, very well right, may happen right, right. so right, that, that's right. a big struggle so that that's been some of the things that we have seen um you know has is, is that been part of your experience has it been a lot of mental health issues or, or poverty um what, what's been your your experience um, yeah, I mean, 
truthfully situations prior to our kids right now, I don't really know exactly what those stories were because, um, like I said, they, those were all kind of respite things. Um, and our, our kids now, I, I think there's been a lot of generational stuff in general. I think, you know, it, it kind of checks every box of, of stuff that's been struggled with. Um, and you know, that being said, their family loves them. Um, they, we have relationships with, with some of their family members, um, through, you know, contact with the kids and stuff. And, um, that I, I think that's kind of become one of my pet peeves too, is when people will say things like, well, so their, their family doesn't want them. And I'm like, please shut up. Like, stop talking. <laughs> just, just, just take it, just duct tape, whatever you got to do. Stop talking. Um, because that's dumb. <laughs> like, um, you know, there are a lot of people, um, in these children's family who love them, who want the best for them, who would do anything for them. Um, it's just a lot of complexity to, to generational curses, you know, and I shouldn't say curses. That sounds super creepy, but you know what I mean? Generational things that people have been struggling with for generations and generations and generations. And, um, you know, I, I really, I hope and pray some of that stuff is broken. I really do. Um, but either way, you know, our, the, the kids know too, and I think this is really important. They know that we love their family. Like they know that we have um, interactions with their family members that are really positive and that their family members know that we love the kids, that we're doing the best we can for them, that, you know, um, they're getting good opportunities to do different things and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think um, in any situation where it's possible, it's really important for the kids to see their foster parents working with their family in whatever way they can. Um, like for example, just a, you know, not that long ago, I, I had a conversation with one of their extended family members and found out a food that one of the kids really likes. This kid happens to really struggle with food. And, um, I think some of it is cultural and some of it is just being a little picky and like different things, but she was able to send me a recipe for something that she made that this kid really liked. And that was huge for that kid. You know, that's just, one example but either you know even if that never happens for you I, I think it's really important that the kids know that all the adults in their life are working towards their best interest and that um that they don't have to pick sides that there's not one or the other that's better that all these people just love them and everybody's trying to figure out what is best for them um because even your biological kids, it takes a freaking village to raise one kid. <laughs> um, it, it, it takes a village. And I think um, there is never a time where a kid is like, you know what? Too many people love me. This is just a little, I don't really think that, I don't want all these people to love me. You know, like, I, I don't think there's ever been a situation where a child can have too many people in their corner. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, I think anyone fostering anywhere that there's an opportunity for, for good connection with, with the children's family in whatever way it is safe and appropriate and all that stuff. I think that that is extremely important. Um, and something that people miss out on a lot. Cause I mean, their family members have taught me things, you know, about the kind of person that I 
want to be in, in the way that they love the kids too. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think those relationships are really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's great that you bring that in because, um, you know, the, the part about their family being something that they really care about is something people don't want to talk about all the time, but it's super important. <laughs> These kids have been through a lot and we, you know, we're, we're doing what we can to, uh, to include them in this conversation and let these kids know that they're, they have more than, than one or two people who actually care about them. And if we can do that, Oh, wow. What, what a, what a benefit that is for the kid. So yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, I, I really do appreciate, you know, you having this, uh, this conversation with me today and, and being willing to tell the story of you and your husband walking through this journey, because I think people need to hear about that. They need to know yeah. that, that this is a journey. And, and quite frankly, I'll say it out loud, even if no one else will. It's friggin' hard. <laughs> Preach. Yeah, parts of this <laughs> is factual. Yeah, parts of it's ridiculously hard, and that's. Yeah. But it's hard, and it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we we've kind of been walking through a really hard season with uh with one of the the kids specifically, and you know, there's kind of some family members that might just get themselves written off if they try hard enough. They don't even have to try that hard at this point. But anyway, people who will say things like, well, see, we told you, we told you that this could happen. And, you know, my response to that is I would not change a single thing. Um, regardless of how freaking hard this is, because it is hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. I would not change a single thing. I would not change a single decision. Um, I would change nothing because ultimately, for one, that child is not giving me a hard time. They are having a hard time. And secondly, um, every single kid here knows that they are loved and they are safe and that even though things are hard, we'll figure it out and that they can count on us. And, um, you know, like you said, it is, it is really hard, but it is worth it, um, even in the hardest of moments, it is so worth it. It really is. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, well, thank you for your time today and sharing your story. I, I'm certain that there there is more people out there just like you and your husband who just need that little extra nudge to realize that they have the opportunity to change the world. And you, hopefully, hopefully, if they're listening right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. I really do. Like we said, you know, not everyone is called to be a foster parent, but everyone is called to do something. And um, I, I think that that's. That's the greatest thing is figuring out what your something is and going after it. Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to Lindsay's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash foster care UJ. Don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash foster care nation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
Unparalleled Studios. Studios.